Hey everybody, it's Brock Falk, and I want to thank you for listening to this message from Heritage Church of Christ. We would be thrilled to share more content like this with you and make it easy for you to share it with others. You can find more messages like this on our podcast, or you can download our smartphone app by searching for Heritage Church of Christ in your app store. But most importantly, I hope this message encourages you to take a next step toward a thriving relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Faith formation. Um, names like Brock Polk and Adam Nicholson and Valerie and Ira Kirkley and so many others uh, during my youth had an impact that even I didn't know what was occurring during the time, but involved faith formation that ultimately led to my calling into ministry uh, and listening to the Spirit's call uh, into full-time ministry. And, and Brock was an integral part of that uh, in, in many ways. And so I'm thankful for our friendship. He uh, left a deep impact in many ways uh, in, in ministry. And what, another, one of the impacts that he left is that he uh, kind of uh, influenced my taste in uh, one of the greatest uh, Disney film classics of all time. Uh, there was one particular summer where he was our intern, where he, I'm not kidding, it had to have been at least three, maybe four dozen times we watched this movie over the course of three months, and that is The Emperor's New Groove. He was completely obsessed with it. If you've ever seen the movie, Many would not rank it a Disney classic, uh, but he loved it. Um, but as he discipled me in those ways, I am now discipling my girls, and we recently introduced them to the Emperor New, New Groove, and they are obsessed. In fact, they made me wear these socks this morning that have a picture of the llama from uh, Emperor's New Groove. And so we are making sure that as Brock has discipled so many others, I am making sure to pass that on to discipling the next generation uh, into uh, musical taste but, uh, uh, and, and many other things and movies. But um, I'm grateful and thankful to, to be here with you uh, this morning and looking forward to spending this uh, time together. Um, one other thing that, uh, about our family uh, that we love is that we are a gaming family. We love to play board games. Are there any of you who like to play board games uh, out there? Some board game enthusiasts, good? Yeah, I mean, we, we like them all. And so we, we've elevated, we've gone through the party games, we've gone through the mini, I mean, we've gone and we're now in like the strategy games. Like we love to play a lot of the more obscure uh, games that you may not be as familiar with or some of you might be. But we love to do it. And part of that comes from a deep sense within us, uh, both in the fam- my wife, Vicki and I, and the families we were raised in, a deep sense of competition. I mean, we have just an innate sense of we like to compete, we like to win, and we get to exercise that at family game nights. Uh, and what, that is one thing that we have also passed on to our girls is that we love to play games together. Uh, and they are kind of picking up on that same love. They have a ton of board games. Um, and so a few years back, uh, when they uh, were young, uh, we decided it's time to start really introducing them to board games about four or five years ago. And so, of course, we got the first board game uh, that you start off with to start learning about games with my daughter, Braylon. She was about three years old. And one Christmas, we got the infamous board game. It is the worst board game in the world, and it's this game right here. It, it, I hate this game. But you have to start with Candyland. You have to start by playing Candyland because this is where you begin to learn how to play games. Like the whole goal of the game is that it's learning how to follow the rules. And part of the reason I, I hate the game is because you can't choose to win. There is no strategy involved. Like literally after you shuffle the cards and you put the deck down, the deck is literally stacked against you. I mean, it is decided before you even start. Because all you do is you draw the card, you look at the color, and you move your piece to the next color and then the next person draws their card, and there's already an order determined. You don't know who the winner is, but from the time you start the game, a winner is already determined, and you don't know who it is. 
Because the goal is not necessarily to be the winner, the goal is just to learn to follow rules. And so our daughter Braylon, she loved this game and was obsessed with it from the beginning and wanting to play all the time. But there was one infamous day that we were playing Candyland. And I wasn't playing because again, I get frustrated at it anyway. But Braylon had coerced mommy and uh, my wife's parents, uh, Gigi and Pops. And they were playing Candyland together. And I was just witnessing and standing on the sidelines watching. And so they start playing the game and they go through and it takes, when you're playing with more people, it takes longer. And uh, it starts getting towards the end and it's becoming clearly evident unless there's just like some poorly drawn card, Gigi is about to win the game. And we all see that this is who's about to win and Braylon is getting upset because she's really close, but she's catching up, but she's not about to win. Gigi is about to win. Well, inevitably, Gigi draws the next card and she gets to the end and she wins. And Braylon throws the biggest temper tantrum I've ever seen in my life. We had gone through the infant years, we had gone through so many uh, caterwauling and everything had gone, but this particular moment when she lost, she lost it. And there were waterworks everywhere and there was weeping and gnashing of teeth and we were all suffering for it. But she just threw a massive fit and she just started saying, but I wanna win. I want to win, and like just there was no consoling her for a long time because she didn't win, and we had to have a very serious and like parenting moment and learning about you can't always win. And we parents, we've always been there. We all we've all had those moments, and this was our moment with Braylon. But here's the thing: winning is a part of life. I mean, you look at it across society; it's baked into the equation. Everybody wants to win. You want to win, I want to win, we all want to win. I mean, every aspect of our society involves some level of needing to win or elevate yourself. I mean, if we just look at a few, if you look at different parts of our society, um, for those of you who have parents, there's the school system. And I've noticed that it, it feels like it continues to get worse, but school is becoming more and more of a competition. I spent 10 years uh, as a youth minister and seeing the rigor that these teenagers have to go through, like the competition that is innately baked into spending hours staying up to do homework, seeing the competition where I'm talking with students who are just, they are in a state of life where they're just feeling like they are worthless, and they're like, it's because they're in the top 25% of their class, but not the top 10. And they are constantly having to compete and trying to do their best and just driving themselves insane because they need to win because they're told if they don't win or if they don't uh, take honors courses or take AP courses and get college credits before they actually go to college and they're not going to get into college or they're not going to get into the right colleges and they're not going to do the right thing, that there is a competition that is at play from the get-go that you have to get good grades and you have to elevate and constantly win. And that translates into our adult lives because we spend our lives constantly trying to climb the corporate ladder in our jobs and in our careers and you're trying to get that promotion and you're trying to get that higher paycheck and you're trying to please the boss and you're trying to do all the things that incorporates winning and climbing the ladder. You see it in various other aspects uh, within uh, even just our basic, what is supposed to be our leisure activities. You wanna be the best at what you do and for those of us who are sports fans, we wanna root for our teams to do the best. And sometimes what should be leisurely watching the Cowboys on a Sunday afternoon turns out to be the time that puts us in our worst moods ever. And it happens more often as a Cowboys fan. That we 
puts so much stock of winning that it literally affects that if we lose our attitudes. It even affects our attitudes when we win because we can get pompous and uh, prideful. We look at our social media feeds and there's constantly this one-upping that is occurring, whether it be Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, any uh, TikTok, there's constantly this one-upping that is occurring to try to win and be better. Even our history and our societies and the origin stories of where we come from, history professors will tell you, they start off classes by telling you history is written by the winners that in order to get a full picture of history and different perspectives, you have to go look because the mainstream is only gonna tell the story of the winners. You look, or the conquerors are the ones who are reigning authority over and, uh, and reigning with power. And it also goes into our churches. You see churches that are competing with one another and comparing themselves to other bodies of Christ just down the road or across the city and other areas, and we're constantly trying to be better, do better, win better, draw more, and we enter into this rat race of constantly trying to win across society. And it's exhausting. And it's defeating. And the question for us is when we are surrounded in a culture and in a society that is so focused on winning and gaining power and gaining influence and authority, what are we to do as followers of Christ? What are we to do with a Jesus who is focused on anything but winning? What are we supposed to do when the one that we claim to follow, when you look at his life, doesn't focus on winning, at least not by the standards of this world? If you look with throughout Scripture, if you look throughout the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, which tell the stories of Jesus' life here on this earth, you'll see a few phrases that Jesus uh, uses when he's talking with his disciples and with others, where he talks about laying down your life for the sake of others. He uses phrases about lifting others up above yourself, that you were to elevate others and lower ourselves, which is the opposite of winning. He talks about that the first shall be last and the last shall be first because he's in an upside down kingdom that's not worried about power and authority, but he is flipping the script. But that doesn't stop us from being caught in a world and a life focused on winning. So what do we do with that? This morning, I'd like to spend some time walking through um, a portion of Jesus's life that we see right in the middle of the Gospel of Luke. Luke is one of the Gospel writers that shares the story uh, of Jesus's life here on this earth. And we're gonna be looking at uh, Luke's account in chapters nine and 10. And here Luke is writing, this is where in Luke's narrative, things kind of take a turn. Where up till now, Jesus has been doing miracles, he's been teaching the disciples, he's been doing miraculous deeds out in the countrysides and in, in, in different areas and with all people groups. But at this point in time, he is about to turn and start moving back towards Jerusalem where he will ultimately die on a cross. And so up through chapter nine, Jesus is doing amazing miracles and things. He's doing healings and he's casting out demons and he is healing lives all around and he is now at the beginning of chapter nine sending his 12 disciples out into the field and he sends them out to go and share the good news of Jesus, to share the good news of the kingdom of heaven having come on earth and he sends them out with power and to do miraculous deeds and so they go out and then they come back and when they come back they have these amazing stories of Jesus that when we shared your name, demons came out of people. 
people who were sick and had been sick for all their lives were healed. And they, the disciples, I mean, they were excited. They were, they were proud in it, like of all that was going on. And they were excited to see the miraculous work of what Jesus is doing. But after they return and share these stories, Jesus's message, it doesn't change, but there's a new layer that's added. Because the disciples get pretty excited about what's going on. And there's even a sense of pride that you read throughout chapter nine. There's an argument that occurs not just shortly thereafter where they're arguing over who is the greatest because of who could cast out and do more and accomplish more through Jesus. They're writing, who's the greatest, Jesus? Who's gonna sit at your right and left and, and who's gonna be better than the other? And there's one moment where one of the disciples, Peter, stands up and he says, God, Jesus, you are the Messiah and the one I'm ready to follow. And Jesus responds in a very dark way when he, the first thing he says after that declaration is made to him, he says, I am about to die. I'm about to die, which is the opposite of winning. And from here on out through the rest of Luke's message, that is gonna be the message of Jesus, is marching towards his death. He shares, uh, the, he says right in the middle of chapter nine that uh, I am marching towards uh, my death. We then get to the very end of chapter nine in verse 57, where we have seen the work that the disciples are doing, that they have more people have begun coming and other disciples are beginning to follow Jesus. And there's one man who comes up uh, and he says to Jesus as they're walking along the road, he says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus gives a really odd response this to, to him. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. The work that the disciples have been doing is beginning to work. The, the message is spreading and Jesus's followers are growing. But now the first thing that Jesus says when someone says, I wanna follow you, he says, well, I'm, I'm homeless. You know, this life isn't all it's cracked, this following me thing, it's not gonna be all it's cracked up to be. Yes, there are the miracles. Yes, there are the casting out of demons. There is the healing of the land and the people, but there's also a tough journey ahead. A, another follower comes immediately after that and Jesus says, you like, should follow me. And the man replies, okay, well, let me, let me go bury my father first, and Jesus' reply is, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then immediately after that, another follower says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first just let me go and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for service in the kingdom of God. The things that Jesus tells them is anything but winning or glamorous. In fact, he communicates, this life that you are committing to it's a hard one. And it's actually gonna be an antithesis to this winning that you've been trying to do and this gaining of power and influence. It's actually gonna be an active move towards losing. Loss of family, loss of life, loss of career, loss of so many things that you're used to. This is the journey you're setting out for. But the disciples, all of them, have seen what Jesus can do, so this doesn't stop them. And so starting in chapter 10, Jesus again is sending them out, but instead of this just sending them out with power and blessing and authority as he did with the 12, he now sends out 72. And if we go to the next slide, Jesus uh, replies with this. After he is sending out the 72, he starts off with this, telling them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to go, 
to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus is saying the message of the kingdom of heaven is important enough that we need to go out and spread it. This is what we need to do, but here's what you can expect. Go, for I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Yes, there is an important thing to accomplish, but wait. Where you are going, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. You're entering a losing battle. Lambs don't defeat wolves. By the world standards, you're entering a losing fight. But you should go out and do it anyway because it's that important. But who signs up for that? Who signs up to go out and lose? The disciples, the 72, they go out, they do amazing things and they do healings and all these things and they come back to Jesus and they share again all the amazing things that happened. Even though Jesus said, you will be harmed, you will be rejected, there will be opportunities where you will be turned against. It's not that it's if you get rejected, it's when you get rejected. And he tells them that when that happens, here's what you are to do. And when you are welcomed in, here's what you are to do. And the disciples go out and they respond and they come back and they share these amazing stories with Jesus about all that has happened uh, in his name, in God's name. And how Jesus responds to them is so incredible. How Jesus responds when they come back and say, even the demons submitted to us in your name. This is what Jesus says to them. If we go to the next slide. He said, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. I've given you the power you need, the authority you need. And as I'm sending you, there will be rejection and hurt and pain. However, do not rejoice that these spirits submit to you. There's excitement about all that's doing, but this is what Jesus says. Don't rejoice that the spirits have submitted to you. Because Jesus isn't worried about winning. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't rejoice when the good works of the, what the kingdom of heaven means coming here, don't rejoice that that's happened. Like we, I know that's gonna happen. Because here's the thing, Jesus already knows what's coming. There's nothing to win because he's already won. He knows that by the standards of this world that he will lose in the sight of many. Because as he's marching towards Jerusalem, he will be beaten. He will be crucified and tortured on a cross, ultimately killed. And by all standards of how this world judges success, he will have lost. But he knows that Sunday is coming and that through an empty tomb, when Jesus rises from the dead and leaves an empty grave and the resurrection occurs, from then on out, there is nothing left to win because everything's already been won. 
Jesus knows this. The disciples aren't yet grasping this. We live on the other side of the resurrection, and we can look back on this, but even we lose sight of that. That we don't have to win anything. Jesus is saying, don't celebrate when these things happen, because I already know those things are, are happening. But rejoice that your name is written in heaven and that when the kingdom of God spreads, more names are written in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus isn't so much worried about you winning or me winning. He's not worried about that because he's got that covered. Jesus isn't playing this game of life the way that we get trapped in this game of life because he's playing a completely different game altogether. Jesus isn't worried about winning. He's worried and concerned about freedom. He doesn't want you to win. He wants you to be free. And that nuance of how we approach life is everything. Because when we focus on winning and we get caught up into the rat race of trying to constantly elevate and to do better and to excel and to win and to influence and to conquer, eventually there's gonna come a time where it doesn't work. There's gonna come a time in life where we get beaten down and we can feel like we are losing. But Jesus doesn't measure a stick by winning and losing and up and down. He's already won, so he wants to know have you left that life and are you entered into the kingdom of heaven where you are free? When he sends his workers out into the field, out into the harvest, he says, the harvest is plentiful not for losers to become winners, but for dead people to come alive, for enslaved people to become free, for tired and weary people who have been playing this game of life their entire life filled with anxiety and frustration to be free to live as I have called them to. And yes, you may be like sheep among wolves, but you can rest that you are free, that I am enough to protect you. And it may look like losing to this world, but we go out to live as those who are free to be Christ's body in this world. There are many of us who have, may have followed Jesus for a long time. And we need to be reminded often to not get caught up into the rat race of life, of constantly trying to do better, be better, win better, influence better, be more, act more, love. Like, we don't need to constantly be trying to elevate. We need to live as Christ has us, that we are free and that we follow Christ and that when we fail, his grace is enough to continue to allow us to know that our name is written in the kingdom of heaven and that our task as disciples of his is to go out and to share that news with others, that your name too, you don't have to play this game of life anymore the way that the world tells you. You don't have to go out and constantly try to win. You can be free from that because Jesus has already won. Let me tell you what that means. There's some of you here that this journey with Jesus may be new or it may not have even begun yet. But there is freedom in knowing that you are welcome to the kingdom and not only that, that it can happen in an instant, in a moment, that your name can be written in the kingdom of heaven. That is the message of the gospel. That is the message of Jesus, not of winning, but of freedom.
As we close here, I wanted to revisit the story that we played uh, of the story of the game of Candyland that we were playing with Braylon. Um, she was throwing that massive fit, and it took a while, but we finally got her calmed down. And when she did, we were like, okay, GG won. It's time to start packing up the game, putting it away. We've learned our lesson. But she stopped and said, no, I want to win. I'm like, you, like GG won. She's like, I want, it, I want to win too. And we're like, okay, fine. Like, well, how about we play for second? Because she was close. She, was, she had been catching up to GG. So we went ahead and we played the cards out. And thankfully, she did finish second. And she got to the uh, end of the game. And she was excited. And we were like happy to have a happy child again. And so we then, we went to pack up again and she stopped us. And she said, no, I want mommy and pops to win too. And in an instant, the spirit worked and there was just a message that, was her, that I heard that was just, I heard this message from this three-year-old You know, Addison, you've spent all your life playing this game of life. But I play by a completely different game, a different set of rules. You're trying to win. I just want to get my children home. I don't care if they're first or last. I just want them here. So we played until mommy and pops also got to the end of the game. And if you've played Candyland before, you know that at the end of the game is... King Candy's castle. The question for us is what game are we playing? Are we playing to win? Or are we playing where we know that our names are written in the kingdom of heaven? We've reached King Candy's castle. And so we just sit idly by and rest in that knowledge and enjoy. Or are we actively cheering on and being part of the journey of those who are not yet at King Candy's castle to get as many people into the king's castle as we possibly can. Not because we won or got there first, but because we're not playing by the rules of winning, we're playing by the rules of freedom. Jesus wants every name to be written in the book of the kingdom of heaven. And we get to be a part of that to go out into the world and out into the harvest and share with so many that freedom is possible. You don't have to keep tiring yourselves out and being filled with anxiety and dread and destitution by trying to win in this world. But as you navigate this world, you can be free to live as Christ would have us live.